0: Well, good morning, everyone. How are we doing? Good, man. It's good to be together. And uh, thanks so much for being here. Like Colin said, for everyone who's in the room, I'm so glad that you're here. And if you're catching us online, thanks for prioritizing staying connected through that way. So I hope you're doing well. Uh, also this morning. But uh, I want to say thanks so much, like Colin said, too. Very special welcome if you're a guest. We're, we're so glad that you're able to be with us. We're actually ending a series today. We're finishing this series that we've been in. It's been called Formed. And uh, I think we've been in the series now. It's been maybe six or seven weeks that we've been kind of journeying through this. And so if you are just joining us, like I said, you're catching us at the end of a uh, a sermon series. But basically, uh, we said this. We said the big goal of this series is that we are trying to to discover. Uh, what is God's goal? for the follower of Jesus? What is God's goal for our lives, for those of us who follow Christ? That's actually what we're kind of talking about here together. And I, I of course, know uh, that not everyone that's here today maybe is a follower of Jesus. And so uh, you might find yourself here, and maybe you're investigating Christ, or maybe you're watching, and you're kind of exploring Christianity, and you're still trying to figure that out. And if that's the case, by the way, uh, man, we just say this all the time. I'm so glad you're here, and so glad that you'd let us be part of your investigation. But you might be thinking, if you're a person that's exploring Christianity, you might be thinking, well, clearly today's talk isn't for me, uh, because you said that the whole point of this series is to to answer the question, what is the goal for the Christian? What is God's goal for the Christian life? Um, And even though that is what we're talking about, I just want to say, I'm super glad if you're someone that's investigating Jesus that you're here, and my hope is that this series, and really even today's talk, will be very helpful to you. Because as you're trying to figure out what does it mean to follow Jesus and what is the goal of following Jesus, my hope is that that becomes very clear to you today uh, as we get a chance to talk about this. But basically what we've been saying is this, is we've been saying that God's goal, God's goal for our life, for those of us who follow him, uh, is not simply to make us more comfortable people. So, God's goal is not just to reduce turbulence from our life and make our lives a little bit more manageable. Uh, We said that God's goal for our life is not just to make us more religiously busy people. So, God's ultimate goal for us is not just that we become like crazy involved church people. Uh, We said that God's ultimate goal for our life is actually not simply to save us from hell. We said that God's goal for our life is not just to reserve a place for us in heaven one day and to rescue us from hell right now and that kind of thing. Now, of course, all of those things I just mentioned are good things, they're fine things, and in fact, some of them are really good things, for sure. But what we said is that to understand the Christian life, to say that the goal of the Christian life is any of those things is to misunderstand uh, what God's real desire is for those of us who follow him. We said it's an incomplete picture of what it means to follow Christ. And so, what is God's goal? We said, well, God's goal is actually much deeper than that. It's much richer than that. It's much more robust than that. And so, what is God's goal for our life? Well, the passage that we've been going back to over and over again, it's really kind of been the theme passage, is actually right here in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. And we said, this is, here, here's, here you have it. This is God's expressed goal for those of us who follow him. It says this that those God foreknew, he also predestined that they would be conformed to the image of his son, that we'd be conformed to the image of his son. So here, we're told that God has predestined, or another way to put it is God has predetermined that he has a goal for our life when we follow him. And what is that? It is that we would be formed or conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Put it simply, God's goal is that we'd look more like Jesus. That's it. That's it. He, he, want, he doesn't just want to keep us out of hell and save us for heaven. He doesn't just want to make our lives a little bit easier while we're here on earth. He doesn't just want to make us religiously busy people. Uh, God's ultimate goal is that we actually look a lot more like Jesus, that we act like, we think like, we talk like, we're motivated like the person of Christ. So the question, of course, is naturally, well, what does that mean to look to be formed in the image of Christ? And how does that happen? And so that's actually what we've been talking about over the past several weeks. And I'd actually encourage you, if you missed the, miss the last several weeks of, of talks, you can actually go back, you can watch those, you can listen to those, you can connect with those on our podcast, our app, our website. I think that might be very helpful for you. But basically, we've been going through the book of Romans, and we've been looking at what does it mean to be conformed to the image of and the likeness of Jesus Christ? How do we pursue that? But today, as we kind of finish out the series, what I want to do is I want to talk about one incredibly critical aspect of what it means to be formed in the image of the Son, what it looks like to be formed, to look like Jesus. And I believe that this is not just, um, this isn't just the end of this series. I believe in some ways, this is the summation of the entire series. So I think what we're talking about today kind of encapsulates the whole thing. And what is that? Well, the critical aspect that I want to talk about here today as it relates to looking more like Jesus and being formed to his image. Uh, In order for me to talk about that, I actually need to introduce you to, for some of you, to a new term, okay? So I want to introduce you, for some of you, in fact, I kind of surveyed the the last two uh, services, and it seems like for most people, this is an entirely new term, uh, but it's this term right here. I want to introduce you to the word cruciform, cruciform. I just out of curiosity, show of hands, how many of you have heard that word before, the word cruciform. Just out of curiosity. OK, so there's there are a few of you who are here. But by and large, most of us would say, I'm not quite sure what that is. And so cruciform is actually, it's a really fascinating word. It's um, it's a very generic word. And what it means, generically speaking, is it simply means cross-shaped. So if something is in the shape of a cross, you would say that it's cruciform. So like uh, think about it this way. If you saw something that was in the shape of a circle, you would say that it's what? A circular, right? So it's, it's in the shape of a circle. Um, but if something was to take on the shape of a cross, we would say that's it's cruciform. That's the word that we would use. So this is actually a word that theologians and pastors and spiritual leaders have adopted, and they've used it to refer to uh, a life that is shaped by and shaped like the cross of Jesus Christ. Okay, so this is a, this is the term I want to introduce you to. It's this idea of being cruciform. That is that living a life that is shaped by and is shaped like the cross of Jesus Christ. So the the whole idea behind this word is basically this, what shapes you as a person? What shapes you? And, you know, that's a term that we use often, isn't it? We talk about things shaping us. And so, uh, for example, all of us are shaped by things that have happened in our life. We're all shaped by our upbringing, right? My guess is that there's certain Uh, There's certain idiosyncrasies about your personality and about your habits that have been formed and have been shaped because of your upbringing, right? So we're all shaped by those things. Uh, We're all shaped by experiences, that we've had in our life. And so maybe for some of us, we can, we can immediately think of painful experiences that have happened in our life that have had a dramatic impact on the shape that we take, right? It shapes us in different ways. Or we can also think of monumental experiences, the high points in life that really had a shape, they shape us in a certain way. Um, relationships, without a doubt, those shape us, right? So who you hang out with, the friends that you hang out with, is gonna have an impact It's gonna influence you in who you are, in the shape that you take as a person. The person that you marry is gonna have a a massive effect It's gonna shape you. And all I'm saying is, um, for, for better or for worse, good or bad, we're all shaped by different things in our life. Here's the point. For the follower of Jesus, for the follower of Christ, there's one thing that should shape us above everything else. There's one thing that should shape us. And above all other things, what is that? It's, it's the cross, the cross. The cross should be the shape, and, and it should also in many ways be the source that we have in the Christian life. So what does it mean to be conformed to the image of God's son? Well, part of it means that we live a life that is shaped in the same way that his is. We live a cross-shaped life. Now, it probably goes without saying, but this is actually a very relevant topic this week. And uh, the reason is, many of you know that today marks the beginning of what is sometimes called Holy Week, and so all throughout the world millions of Christians are remembering and are thinking about are thinking about and commemorating uh, the the final weeks events of the life of Jesus Christ. And of course right there in between this Sunday and next week which is Easter Sunday, Sun Sunday, on Friday is Good Friday, which we'll be having services here where we think about and we commemorate and we remember the cross. And so literally millions of Christians around the world this week are going to be thinking about the cross. And so as we think about the cross here today uh, together, my hope is, my hope is that we will see today, my hope is that we'll see that the cross is not merely an event that happened in Jesus's life, okay? So, and it was. The cross was a historical event that happened in space and time in history. It's not an allegory. It really happened. But I want to show you that it's not just an event that happened. The cross is not simply the means of forgiveness, which, by the way, it is. Don't hear me wrong. Uh, the cross is the way in which the sins of humanity are atoned for, the, for those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. That's true. But my hope is today that you'll see, you'll see something, maybe a new dimension of the cross. And my hope is that what you'll see is that the cross is also the pattern. It is the pattern of the life of Jesus Christ, That the cross, you can think about it this way, the cross is the culmination of, it is the summation of, it is the fullness of the character of of God, the character of Jesus Christ, exhibited in fullest form. That the cross wasn't just an event, the cross was the shape that Jesus' life took. And because we are gonna be formed in the image, for those of us who follow him, that we're gonna have a life that is going to be shaped like his as well. It's gonna be shaped by the cross. I think, by the way, this is what Jesus meant when he said these words, very famous but mystical words, mysterious words, when he said this, whoever wants to be my disciple, that is, who wants to follow me, the person who wants to be a Christian, the person who wants to dedicate their life to me, has to take up their cross daily and follow me. And so, so you see, what Jesus is saying is he's saying that part of what it means to be a disciple is it means that you live a life that is marked by, is shaped by daily taking up your cross, just like Jesus would have done as well. So I think the, the question is Is this, is, okay, that might make sense. Maybe it makes sense. Maybe it does. Maybe it's still kind of fuzzy. But the question is, okay, so practically speaking, what does that mean? Like practically, day in, day out, rubber meets the road. What does it look like to live a life that is shaped like the cross? What does it look like to live a cruciform life? And this is where I wanna take you to Romans chapter 12. And so if you got your Bible, I wanna encourage you to open it up with me to Romans chapter 12. uh, And we're gonna look specifically at 12 verses, verses nine to 21. Uh, By the way, if you didn't uh, bring a Bible with you, if you don't have a Bible, you can feel free to get under the chairs. You can find our Bibles, page 790 is where you're gonna find it. I wanna encourage you, uh, get a Bible in front of you. Actually have it there in front of you, if you will. If you're watching online, uh, feel free to open your Bible or open up a Bible app or something. And uh, and let's all get to Romans. Let's have it there in front of us. Romans chapter 12, uh, verses nine to, 9 to 21. Now let me just tell you, these verses that we're about to read give an immense, I mean, just an immense amount of practicality to what does it actually look like to live a life that is shaped by the cross. It's gonna give us an immense amount of practicality. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm actually gonna read the whole passage for us because I'm gonna read all 12 verses and we're gonna kind of read those here together. But I wanna encourage you before I do that, before I read this whole passage, I wanna invite you to engage as we're reading, not just from an informational standpoint. Okay, so what I mean by that is I don't just want you to hear these words and take them in like education, all right, like you're learning something new. Here's how I actually wanna invite you to listen to what we're about to read. I wanna invite you to listen through the lens of your life. All right, so as we read these verses, here's what I mean. Every single one of us came into this room or we logged on to the live stream today and we came in with a set of circumstances. We all did. We all have a set of relationships. We all have a set of problems that we're trying to solve. We all have a set of tensions that we're trying to navigate we all have a set of, of uh, relationships in our life that we are trying to figure out the best way to interact within those relationships. We all have uh, issues and circumstances that we are, we, we are trying to navigate through at work and at home and those kinds of things. We all have joys that we're delighting in. Those things are happening. And so what I wanna invite you to do is when you read these words, is not, not just to open up your mind to learn, but my hope is that you'd also open up your heart and you'd open up your circumstances to hear what God might have to say to those things. All right, so I want to invite you to do that. All right, now let's read it together as we open our lives to what God's word has to say to us. Let's read this passage. Romans chapter 12, starting off in verse nine, says this, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, but cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor other people above yourself. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be faithful to pray. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who are rejoicing. Mourn with those who are mourning. Live in harmony with one another. Look, don't be proud. Be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. Man, if it's possible, if it's possible. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge. Don't take revenge, my dear friends. Leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, It's mine to avenge, and I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. And there you have it. There's a passage. And man, wow, what a passage. Seriously, I feel like we could just read that and then pray and say, let's just all go home and do that. Sound good? You guys are like, really, for real? Can we do that? No, because I'm a preacher. I have a lot more to say. But, But man, don't you guys feel that way? I'm like, I could read this every day. What? Oh, a passage. I mean, this thing's amazing. I'll tell you something really cool about this passage, something I learned. Did you know this is the most concise place in the entire New Testament where the Apostle Paul summarizes the actions and behaviors of the Christian life? It is the most condensed, consolidated place. It is over 25 rapid-fire characteristics of the Christian life be like this, be like this, be like this, don't do that, do this, do this. I mean, just rapid fire, over 25. My count, 27 in 12 verses. This is the apostle Paul telling us what the Christian life looks like. And I think it's very clear when when you read this, if you were engaging with it and you were actually thinking about it, this is an unbelievably high calling. I mean, this is a high standard of living. I think what you see in this passage is you see a picture of the exalted life that the Christ follower is called to. It is a high, high calling. I mean, just just to. I mean, we just read it, so not to reread it, but just to give you some of the highlights, some of the things that this passage says. It said stuff like this. It said that followers of Jesus we should honor other people above ourselves. Other passages are going to say something similar. They're going to say that we should think about others above ourselves. That we should consider the needs of others. That we should honor other people as even above ourselves. Man, that's a high calling. It's a high calling. It's going to say stuff like this, that we should share with other people who are in need, that we should, we should practice hospitality. The Christian life should be one that's marked by love and is marked by sharing, that we're to share with each other when we're in need, but also we're to practice hospitality. Hospitality is loving and caring for the person who's not like you, the person who's utterly different than you, who's outside of your natural purview of life—that's a high calling. That we see here. This passage is going to say we should bless people who persecute you. If there's people who, if there's someone in your life right now that's causing you harm, the Bible is going to say that we should bless them, not curse them, not repay in kind what they're giving us. That's a, a high calling. It's going to say this. We shouldn't be proud, but we should be willing to associate with people that we would consider of low position. It's going to say we shouldn't repay evil for evil. We shouldn't take revenge. It's going to say that, listen, it's going to say we should care about our enemy. We should consider our enemy. We should consider, if they're hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. And I think, I think this whole passage, you can actually summarize in this final verse when it says this, do not be overcome, or, uh, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I think it's the summary of everything that he said right here. Now, I know I can't speak for you, but let me speak for myself. When I read these verses, verses nine to verse 21, there are two thoughts that are going through my mind at the same time, two thoughts. And here's what they are. Number one is I think to myself, how beautiful how beautiful is this passage? How beautiful is this life that we're called to? When I read this, quite honestly, I think to myself, man, if 90% of the people on earth lived according to what this passage says, the world would be a much, much better place. If I knew a person and, and, and during their eulogy, someone read something like this about their life, that would have been a beautiful life. That's my thought. How beautiful, how beautiful. This is the way that humans should live. Think about others above yourself. Bless and don't curse. Love people who are not like you. I'm like, yeah, this is it. But here's the second thought that goes through my mind. I'm just being honest with you. My second thought is, so first off, how beautiful. My second thought is, how burdensome. How burdensome is this? And when I read this, I think to myself, man, this seems utterly unsustainable, if not entirely impossible, and just totally idealistic. And my guess is for some of you, You know, I asked you to think about the circumstances of your life when we read this, and some of you did. And as you were thinking about the circumstances of your life and the relationships in your life and you read some of that stuff, for some of you, you probably felt that burden. You probably felt the difference between your life and this calling, and you probably were like, oh, man, yeah, I'm not doing that. Oh, I'm missing that one, and ah. And we feel it, we feel it. And it causes me, it causes me to ask a very honest question. And here's the question it causes me to ask. How in the world... Am I supposed to live up to this? How in the world? It's beautiful, yes. It's excellent, I agree. It's the way people should live. Totally on board with that. Can I do it? I don't know how. How in the world am I gonna be able to keep up this kind of life that we have? Now, now, now listen, I just want you to know that the way that you answer this question, the way that you answer this question is critically important. Because I believe, I believe with all my heart, that misunderstanding how the Christian life works, that misunderstanding how we live according to this amazingly high standard that we see here, can actually lead. To, if you misunderstand it, I think it can lead to. I think it can lead to exhaustion. I think it can lead to guilt. I think it can lead to honestly resentment. And um, and we have to understand. I think what's, what this passage is actually calling us to. Now, some of you might be thinking to yourself, okay, so can you clarify that? All right, so let me see if I can clarify it this way. I'll clarify by giving you a very simple illustration. It's actually an illustration that I've used and I've stolen in the past. And um, I probably, it was probably five or six years ago, the first time that I had used this illustration. But I just gotta tell you, it it has been so helpful to me over the years. It's been so clarifying that I could think of no better thing but to just share it with you guys uh, here today. So I want you to imagine with me, this is the illustration, just for illustration's sake, I want you to imagine me that the ceiling in the auditorium, because okay, so everyone look up at the ceiling and look at the highest. So there's like two ceilings, like a lower ceiling and a higher. Look at the high ceiling up here. Okay. And I know if you're watching online, you can't see it. Uh, but if you can, if you can, if you can envision it, it's a ceiling. All right. So, so I want you to imagine that. And I want you to imagine that that ceiling represents the high calling of Romans chapter 12, verses nine to 21. Okay. So that's the, that's the standard. It's up there right? We can't reach it. It's all the way up there. And it's, I mean, love your enemy. And it's like, you know, bless those who persecute you. And it's like, uh, think about other people more than yourself. I mean, it's up there. And I want you to imagine for our illustration's sake, that this balloon that I just so conveniently have in my pocket, uh, which I usually, I usually have a balloon in my pocket. I have four kids, so that's a normal thing. <laughs> I want you to, to assume this represents your life, okay? So your life is a balloon. And so I want you to imagine that it's the case, And so our life, for those of us who follow Jesus, we are called to be up there. That's where we're called to live. But There's a problem, and the problem is that we all have a natural gravitational pull to not up there. Our natural gravitational pull is to down here. It's actually the opposite direction of that life. So up there is love your enemy as yourself. And if you're anything like me, my natural inclination is not to love my enemy. My natural inclination is to hate my enemy. My natural inclination isn't to feed my enemy, is what it says. My natural inclination is to punch my enemy, right? That's my natural inclination. My natural inclination isn't to think about other people above myself. My natural inclination is to think about myself above everybody else. And maybe it's just me, but those are my natural inclinations. So the question is this then, how in the world does the follower of Jesus get from here to there? How does that happen? Now, of course, I think uh, you guys probably know, there's actually a couple ways you can do this. There's a couple ways. So here's one way. One way I can get it up there is I can fill this balloon with my own air. I can fill it with my own effort. I can fill it with my own breath, right? So I can take this balloon and I can blow it up. So I'm going to do that right now. (laughs) And we'll stop with one because I don't want to pass out. Have you guys, have you guys blown up a balloon anytime recently? It's hard, man. Get old, when you get older, you're like, "Whew." Anyway, so all right, so one, one, so I can I can blow it up with my own air, and then if I want to get it up there, I can try to just smack this thing as hard as I can to get it up into up in there. Now, let me just ask you guys a quick survey: uh, How much do you believe in your pastor? How many of you guys think that I can smack this thing all the way up to the ceiling? Show of hands. Nobody. (laughs) Nobody. Okay, all right. I love you guys more than everyone else. Okay. All right, well, all right. All right, so here we go. All right, so so I'm actually not going to try. And I'll tell you why. I'm going to tell you why. Because, and this is the God's honest truth. The reason I'm not going to try is I was reminded um, that there is actually a, uh, we actually have a smoke detector system up there that involves lasers. And so if this interferes with it, it'll set off the smoke alarms. So I am very confident I can get the balloon up there because I'm a a pretty strong pup. But here's the thing. Even if I did, like even if I was able to just like smack this thing, and with all my might, I was able to get it up into the ceiling, you guys all know what would happen: It's going to come back down. It's gonna come back down. And so I could just keep smacking it and keep trying to get it up to the ceiling, but it's gonna keep coming down. And eventually I'm gonna get totally exhausted trying to get this thing to go up to the standard that God wants for me. Now, this is the illustration. J.D. Greer, in his book, The Gospel, he's the one who originated this illustration. He said, think of our relationship with Christ like a balloon. There's two ways to keep a balloon afloat. You can fill a balloon with your own breath. And the only way to keep it in the air is to continually smack it upward. Now, this is what he said. This is great. That's how religion keeps you motivated. It repeatedly hits you. Stop doing this, start doing that, get busy with this. That's the idea. And here's the thing. Do you guys ever play you guys ever play that game with a balloon? I have four kids, so we we play this only every time there's a balloon in our proximity. Do you guys ever play that game? I don't know what the name of it is. I think it's I think I think if I was to name it, I would call it um, don't let the balloon hit the ground. Do you guys ever play that game? And the goal, if you've never played, it's kind of complicated. The goal is to not let the balloon hit the ground. That's it. And basically, you just go around. And I know when our family plays, it's a full force contact sport. I mean, people are diving and they're hitting each other. But here's the thing is if you do that, and we could play as a whole room, which I think would be kind of fun if we did, but eventually what would happen is we'd all get tired and we all go home and the balloon would be sitting on the ground. Now here's what I believe. I think for many of us who follow Jesus, that's actually what our Christian life looks like. It looks like a game of smack the balloon. We're all trying to, well, you know, this is what God has called me to that life. And Oh, you know what? We really need to forgive. So yeah, I need to try. I want to go try to, to live up to God's calling, but I keep falling short. And then we go, to, we go to church and we're like, oh yeah, that's right. I'm supposed to do this. And we go to life group the next week. We're like, oh yeah, life group. You know, I want to get smacked again. And remember I need it. In fact, for some of you, this so defines your Christian life that you think that my job as a pastor is that I'm a professional smacker. Like that my job is I administer the smack. So you're like, I come in and Pastor Tony's gonna smack me around again. He's gonna tell me, oh, you need to be giving more. And I'm like, oh, I need to be giving more. No, I need, stop being bitter. And you're like, oh, I need to stop being bitter. And and, and for some of you, you feel that way. And by the way, that makes sense. That would explain why so many people don't like me. It's because I just, you're just like, all you do is smack people all the time. But inevitably, inevitably, it's gonna be exhausting. Because you can never keep it up. You can't keep it up. We have this standard that we're called to. We just can't seem to get there. But here's the thing. I think all of us know this. There's another way. There's another way you can get this balloon all the way up there. There's another way you can do it. No smacking required. And what is that? You guys know this. You can fill it with something different than your own breath and your own steam. And and you can you can inwardly do something that can transform this balloon from the inside that requires no additional smacking from the outside. There can be another force, there can be another power at work within this that shapes this balloon and becomes the source of empowerment for it to go to a different level altogether. And not only would this balloon, if I filled it with helium, not only would it go to the ceiling, but if you were to open up the ceiling, it would go all the way to the clouds. The ceiling would be the starting point, it wouldn't be the ending point. It would be able to soar to to incalculable heights that are absolutely unattainable by human strength and by human effort. Now listen, here's the thing. How in the world are we supposed to, as followers of Jesus, ascend to the heights that we read in Romans chapter 12, verses nine to 21? And here is where I believe the context is so utterly important, context. See, it's important that you know this, that Romans chapter 12, verses nine to 21 is placed in Romans chapter 12 because it comes after Romans chapter one to 11. And some of you are like, that's super obvious, man. And I know, I know, profound, right? But what is happening in Romans chapter one to 11? Well, if you guys have been with us in the series, you know what's happening. The apostle Paul is filling this thing with helium is what he's doing. And it's not until you get to chapter 12 that he lets the balloon go and says that's the life that we should live. In fact, I love the way Romans chapter 12 starts. You guys notice in verse one, it says this, Uh, Colin preached on this just a couple weeks ago. You guys heard this? This is how Romans 12 starts. Therefore, therefore, that's an important word. What's he talking about? Everything he said in chapters 1 to 11. And what does he say in chapters 1 to 11? It's all about the mercies of God, the mercies of God. And what are the mercies of God? Well, the mercies of God are God's kindness, his love, his service to us, and the fullness of God's mercies are seen where? Where? On the cross, on the cross. And so now he says, therefore, in view of God's mercies, there's a life, there's a life that we're called to live. There's a life. See, the apostle Paul, if you guys have ever read his writings before in the Bible, he's always dropping therefores. This guy's dropping therefores all over the place. And I think that what he's trying to tell us is the Christian life has to grow from something. You can't start with forgive. You can't start there. You have to have a therefore first. And the therefore has to point back to something that's gonna give you the power to forgive the way that we're called to forgive. And I think what the apostle Paul is telling us is, is if you fill your life with the wrong therefore, you'll never be able to get to the heights that God desires for you in your life. You can, you can fill your life with the wrong therefore. You're like, um, can you give me an example of some wrong therefores? Sure, let me give you two. I'll just give you two examples, okay? So let's just say, let's just go with this for a minute. Let's just say that you have a relationship in your life right now and it's very challenging. Um, Maybe we'll do it this way. Let's say that you're a college student and you have a roommate that you're living with or maybe for some of you, you're married. I know not everyone's married, but I want you to think about that for a minute. And I want you to imagine that things are really hard, that things are really tough in your marriage, things are really tough with your roommate and it's getting to a point where you're having a really hard time. And, And so you decide that you're gonna reach out and you're gonna seek out some advice. And so you talk to your life group leader or you talk to a spiritual advisor, or let's just say for the illustration's sake, you come and you talk to me. All right, and let's say we sit down and I say, tell me what's going on. And you say, man, I just, I just need to tell you, I'm ha- we're having a hard time in our marriage right now. We're having a really difficult time. And I'm like, I'm sorry to hear that. Can you, can you give me a picture of what's going on? And you tell me this. You say, well, I know I know, God wants me he wants our marriage to be up there. He wants our marriage to be up there, but honestly, I don't know how much longer I can keep it up. And I feel like I give and 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 I give. And I feel like they just take and they take and they take and they take and they take. And I honestly, I just don't know how much longer I have it in me, and I know that God wants me to serve, and I know that I just I just I'm running out of gas, man, I'm running out of gas. Let's just say we had that conversation. My husband, I feel like I give and give to my husband. I feel like he just takes, I'm not sure what to do. And let's say that I heard you out. And I said, I'm sorry to hear that. That's, that's a tough situation to be in. And I said, why don't we open up God's word together? And we do. And I took you to Romans 12, the passage we just read. And I read this to you. We should be devoted to one another in love. We should honor others above ourselves. Don't be lacking in zeal but keep up your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. I'd say I read that and I said to you, you know, I know it's hard, I know it's challenging, but you know, the kind of love we're called to as Christians is one where we give, we give, we give. And so I know it's exhausting, but I wanna encourage you to think about others above yourself. I wanna encourage you to not, to not give up. I want you to keep up your spiritual fervor. I want you to keep up your zeal. Let's pray, you go get them. Now let's say you leave that, that meeting and you go back home. Now, here's the danger if you leave that meeting in the therefore the reason that you're going to go try to serve and the reason you're going to try to love and the reason you're going to try to keep it up is because pastor tony said so that's going to last you how long like 30 seconds maybe you're not it's if you go home And the the therefore that fills your balloon is because you say, well, the reason I'm doing this, I'm gonna try, I'm gonna try to keep my spiritual because that's the right thing to do. That's what my religion teaches me. I'm just telling you, that is not sufficient power for you to live the life that God has called you to live. It's just not. Even this, even if you said, the reason I'm going to do this is because the Bible says I should, I'm telling you that that's incomplete to bring you to the place where God wants you to live. How about this one? Let's say you came to me and or you came to your life group leader and you said, I'm having having a hard time forgiving and there's a situation that happened and, and it was bad, it was bad. They hurt me. And I'm struggling with bitterness. I'm struggling. And I know, I know God says to forgive. Like, he's like, we should forgive and shouldn't hold on to bitterness. But I'm telling you, I can't keep it up. And I keep drifting back down to being bitter. I keep, can you help me? And let's say that we sat down and I looked at you and I said, that's hard. And man, that's difficult. And I understand there's a bad situation. And I said, why don't we open up the Bible and see what God says about that? And we did. And let's say I took you to this passage right here where it says, do not take revenge, my dear friends but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now let's say that I read that to you. This is God's word. And then what would you say to me? You'd probably say, hmm, can you tell me more about the burning coals? That sounds pretty good right now. I like that idea. Which, quick aside, some of you are like, for real, what is that about? And so let me just kind of clarify on that, by the way. Uh, There's a lot of conversation about commentators talk about what that means. But I can tell you definitively what it does not mean. It doesn't mean that you should injure your enemy. That's actually exactly the opposite of what the context says. Uh, But commentators will point out, most of them will agree, that that's actually talking about a, a very famous idiom that refers to loving someone and being so kind to them, even though they're, being, they're treating you in a way that's, that's, that, that's not that way, that it, it, would, it has a searing effect on their conscience. That's what the pastor would say. But, but if I just showed this to you and said, you should love your enemy, you should think about your enemy. And, and let's say that you walked out of that meeting. Well, there's a danger to that. Because if you're not filled with the right therefore, you might try to do that, but you're gonna find yourself exhausted and you're gonna find yourself depleted and you're gonna find yourself deflated and you're gonna find yourself maybe even resentful to what the Bible says and to what you were told. So the Apostle Paul is gonna fill the Christian life with an entirely different therefore. And the therefore is in view of God's mercies. He's gonna say, because of what Jesus has done, and his mercies are most clearly seen and summarized and amplified and they're climaxed in the cross, what Jesus has done for us. Romans chapter five, while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. And you see, I think it's only when you begin to understand that it's the cross of Jesus Christ that is the helium that, that, that is infused into this balloon, that we are able to connect we're able to connect the mercies of God on the cross to the Christian life. And those things are supposed to be connected. That's where it's empowered. It's actually pretty interesting. I was um, When I was preparing for this, I was sitting there and I was reading Romans chapter 12, verses nine to 21. And I was reading this, therefore, in view of God's mercy. And I was like, these are connected. These are supposed to be connected. And so I actually, um, I actually took the passage and I actually rewrote it. I rewrote the passage, which by the way, I don't encourage anyone to ever rewrite the Bible. It's not a good thing. Uh, but I think you'll see what I'm talking about. I was trying to connect what we read in Romans chapter 12, verses nine to 21 to in view of God's mercies. And so I wrote it out this way, and I just want you to consider it from this angle. Just consider it from this angle. On the cross, right, in view of God's mercies, in view of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross, on the cross, Jesus' is love was sincere. On the cross, he hated what was evil, but he clung to what is good. On the cross, Jesus devoted himself to us in love. He honored us above himself. On the cross, Jesus didn't lack zeal, but he kept his spiritual fervor and he continued to serve the Lord. On the cross, Jesus was joyful in hope. He was patient in affliction. He was faithful to pray. On the cross, Jesus shared with God's people who were in need, which by the way, was all of us. And he practiced hospitality. He loved those who hated him. He loved those who were different than him. On the cross, Jesus blessed even those who were persecuting him. He blessed. On the cross, he empathized with us. He entered into our pain, took it on himself. On the cross, he made it possible for us to live in harmony with God and with others. Jesus was not proud. He was willing to associate with people of low position. He wasn't conceited. On the cross, Jesus didn't repay anyone evil for evil, but instead he was careful to do what was right for everyone who watched in front of him. On the cross, as far as it was possible, as much as it depended on him, Jesus made every effort to make peace available to every single one of us on the cross. On the cross, Jesus didn't take revenge, but he left room for God's wrath. On the cross, he loved and he provided for his enemies. And on the cross, Jesus was not overcome by evil, but he overcame evil with good. And in view of God's mercies, and in view of the shape of his life, this is his life. It was shaped like a cross. In view of his mercies, we should offer ourselves to live a similar life. And I, I believe that for me, when I read this and I think about Jesus, it begins to fill me with a different power with a different steam than my own energy, than my own work, than my own effort. It's a response of love for what Christ has done for me. And I think that when we read this, what it shows us is, man, the cross wasn't merely an event in Jesus's life. It wasn't simply the means of forgiveness. It was the pattern. It was the pattern of his whole life. And what it means to follow him is it means that we become conformed to the image of his son. And it means that we also are empowered by and we live a life that is shaped by the cross of Jesus Christ. I love the way one commentator puts it, a guy by the name of Michael Gorham, he said this. He said, cruciformity, living the cruciform life is crossed shape existence in Jesus, the Messiah. It is letting the cross of the crucified Messiah be the shape as well as the source of life in him. It is participating and it is embodying the cross. And I it gets it. The cross is the, is the shape of the life we live and it's the source that empowers us to live that life. Now, of course, there's so much more we could say about this. And I want you to know that this is, for those of us who follow Jesus, this is a daily pursuit for us. And it's a lifetime pursuit. And it's one that we are on, we're pursuing together. This is why it's so important that we have each other, is because we're not looking to live a life that's motivated by self-effort. We're looking to allow the cross of Jesus Christ to so transform us and so mold us and so shape our life that it changes us all the way through. And like I said, there's so much more we can say. And in fact, what we're talking about this week is gonna dovetail quite a bit with what we're talking about next week. And so I really wanna encourage you to come back as we celebrate Easter Sunday together. But as we wrap up, I going to ask the band to come up. And as we do, I wanna end with just one actually very practical thing, one practical challenge in light of today's conversation, one practical step in light of today's conversation that you can do this week, that you can do this week. And that's this. I wanna encourage you to engage with commun- in communion with us this week. We have a pretty unique opportunity, Good Friday services that are coming up. We have two service times here. We also have some service times available online. And we're gonna get a chance as a church to celebrate and to practice communion together. Now, I, I don't know what you think about communion. I don't know what kind of religious background you grew up in, or maybe you didn't grow up with any religious background. But I wanna demystify communion a little bit and talk about why I think it's so important and why I think it's so significant to today's conversation, right? So communion, just to clear it up, commun- nothing magical happens at communion. It's, it's not like there's, 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 there's something, it's, it's not like it's, it's a religious activity that we do to earn God's favor, that's not what it is. It's not something that we do as a, a checkbox on a spiritual to-do list, that's not what it is either. None of those things are true communion, the reason that we do it is because Jesus has asked us to. And there's two reasons. I think there's actually two very clear reasons why we engage in communion. I think it's uh, displayed pretty clearly First 1 Corinthians 11. It says this, says, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this, this cup is the cup of the new covenant, my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. I don't know if you noticed, there's two reasons why we take communion. Here's the first one. The first one is to remember. It's to remember. Like I said, there's nothing magical that's happening. It's an act of remembrance. The word remember there, by the way, is actually the word, it doesn't mean to memorize something, like just to know about something. It actually means to memorialize and it's this idea that during communion, what we do is we're actually intentionally creating space. We're creating space to contemplate and to think about and to, to symbolically digest the cross. We're thinking about it. We're thinking about how profound it is that we're looking at Jesus and what he has done for us and the way that his life was shaped and we're taking that in, we're taking that in. And, and that's a big part of what we do at communion is we're creating space to remember what Jesus has done for us, to bring it into ourselves. But here's the other thing that we're doing at communion is we're proclaiming. We're proclaiming the Lord's death to ourselves and to each other. We're proclaiming. And the word proclaim is actually interesting. It's the same word for preach. We're preaching to each other. We're preaching to ourselves and we're preaching to others. What do you mean by that? What I mean is not only are we remembering what Jesus did, but we're also proclaiming to each other, this is the life that we're called to live. This is the shape that our life takes. And so when we take in communion, we are symbolically digesting it, but we are also symbolically integrating it, and we are allowing it to come into our lives, and we're allowing it to animate our actions and behaviors. And so when we take communion, I actually think it's a very, very beautiful thing. And so I wanna encourage you, I wanna encourage you to maybe come out for those communion services on Friday or engage with those online. I actually would even say this. I would say that if you're a person who's investigating Jesus... I actually would encourage you to come out to these services. Um, I will tell you, they're, they're, they're a little bit different than maybe anything you've ever seen before. We practice communion in a way that's kind of ancient. It's sort of similar to what they would have done in the first century, most likely. So we have a chance to do that, but I think it's very powerful. And I would say, even if you're investigating Christ, we would encourage you, if you're investigating to not take communion, that's actually something that's reserved for followers of Jesus, but I would encourage you just to watch, to absorb, to, to, let the, to let it all sink in. It's a very, very powerful thing that we get a chance to engage in together. And it just reminds us that this is the source, and this is the shape of the life that we are pursuing together. It is a cruciform life. Let's pray. Well, Jesus, I do just want to say thank you for the cross. Thank you that the cross wasn't just some isolated event that was disconnected from your life but it really was in a lot of ways, the summary of all of your characteristics and your character and your heart. And uh, and Jesus, we know that what it means to follow you, a big part of that is it means that we need to take up our cross and that we need to follow you. And Father, we can't do that on our own. We know we can't. There's no amount of human will and self-effort that we can live to the calling that you've asked us to live up to. But the truth is that you, your life living in us, your life lived through us, will cause us to rise to heights of life that are unattainable by our own strength. And so God, I pray that even in these next moments as we have a chance to respond and to sing, that we wouldn't just sing words, I pray we'd sing truths, that we'd proclaim them to ourselves and to each other in these next moments. Thank you for the cross. We pray this all in Jesus' name.